0: It's super nice to see you this morning. Hello, everybody. Um, I haven't been here for a while with actual people, so this is nice. Uh, thank you for having me this morning. It's a real privilege to be here. My name is Lorraine. If you're watching online, hello. Um, and welcome to everybody who's here in the room as well. Um, my name is Lorraine, and I'm part of the preaching team. I'm the female representative from the preaching team. Um, in my day job, uh, a couple of days a week, I'm a teacher of religious studies at a local secondary school. I'm married to the wonderful Dave, and we have three wonderful children, and one of them is in the room. Hello, Emmett. (laughs) So this morning, I'm going to be talking to you from the book of James. Of course, we're looking at James, and we have been for a little while. Um, This is session five, and this morning, I have entitled the talk, that faith is like a window. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word and I just pray this morning that you would open up our ears, our eyes, our hearts to whatever it is you want to speak to us about this morning. I thank you for everybody who's here and everybody who will hear this at some point. Lord, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to anoint every word and that you would give me wisdom to speak and what a privilege it is, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your love, Lord. Amen. So in front of me were lots of paints and pencils and charcoal and mood boards, um, and I was adding to my exploding sketchbook. And there, this lady sat next to me, uh, to my right, um, really long, dark dreads with an alternative sense of dress, um, just like you'd expect from somebody who's at art school. And she said to me, so, how does it work? And I was praying, in my, I was praying, 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 my 18-year-old self, um, trying to make a difference to her story. And the first thing that came to me was this verse, faith by itself, if not accompanied by, de- by actions, is dead. And I was like, talking to her about it. And basically, she wanted to know why Christians did all the stuff. Um, she wanted to know that why Christians did what they did, because she had been taught that it's all about like, works, and she had no understanding of, of grace at all. So in that dusty, busy art studio all those years ago, uh, my heart just really, really burned for the truth, and just wanted her to know the truth. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus and you don't help other people, then actually we discussed you're kind of a bit hypocritical, um, and it's might as well you might as well have no faith at all. The good things that Christians do are obviously a natural consequence of loving Jesus. And tick, yes, she got that, that was fine. But it was still a really difficult conversation. And she just really had firmly believed that you had to earn your place in heaven, and there was no room for grace at all. And I do wonder what she's doing today. You see, this book of James that we've been looking at is a book of wisdom. And with my year eights at school, we're looking at um, a unit on sources of wisdom. And uh, first of all, we started off with, well, what is wisdom? And so we decided that I told them, we didn't decide, I told them, that <laughs> wisdom is knowledge, experience, and it's good judgment. So we talked about that. And so I said, so guys, who do you think might be wise? And this young man in my year eight class put his hand up and he said, Miss, I think that middle-aged people are wise. <laughs> and I was like okay, why, why do you think that? We said, well, old people like forget stuff and, and things, and, and little kids don't know that much, so I think middle-aged people are wise, and I just had this moment in front of a class full of year eight kids going, am I middle-aged? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I was like, and then I had to move on, and it, I just laughed, and then, and then we carried on. This is brilliant. I love my job. So we're going to delve into the heart of the book of James this morning, um, and it's ultimately about faith and works. So this morning, um, it's talking about how biblical faith leads to good work. So what I've done today is I'm going to split the talk roughly into two. The first half is about basically do something about your faith if it's real, with two lovely examples of people from the Old Testament, um, and then the second part is talking about kind of how are you going to apply this to yourself. And there was this one verse that jumped out of me, which, at me, which was verse 18. I will show you my faith by my deeds, and I think really this is the heart of the book. So, we'll talk about a saving faith, and we'll talk about kind of this idea of deeds, and then we'll talk about attitude of our hearts. Um, there's two books that kind of influenced my talk a little bit today. Um, the first one is called The Broken Way by Anne Voskamp, and I can highly recommend them both. They're both very different. Um, the second one is by June Sapong, and it's The Power of Privilege. So, there's two books that have had a little bit of something to say this morning in what I'm going to share with you. So... Just as we begin, let's just consider where you are at this morning. This is talk five in this, this uh, session this sessions this on James. Perhaps you're really keen to hear from Jesus this morning. Perhaps you've turned up this morning and you're quite indifferent. Um, perhaps you're quite distracted uh, by what's going on in your life. Um, whatever you've heard so far from this book of James, um, James was effectively like Jesus' kind of half-brother. He got to hang out with him all the time. So he had a lot of helpful things to share with us. What has rested on you and, and kind of within you from this, these talks already? So just before we read the passage, I'd just like to pause and allow just a few moments of space for us to just, in our own hearts, turn to God and to just deliberately look to him and know, because he promises this in, us this in his word, that his face will shine upon us and we will be the recipients of his grace. Okay, James 2, verses 14 to 26. What good is it then, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Okay. So let's jump in. So my friend, she was the picture of, different friend, picture of holiness. She had her Bible out on the coffee table. It's one of those amazing Bibles that's really like dogged on the corners and really well used. And she would always offer to pray for us in our str- strifes and our struggle. And the problem with, the situation was that she never did any washing up, and this was very, very infuriating. I just wanted to shake her, I loved her very much, but I just wanted to shake her and said, come on, get out of your holy bubble and help. I think this morning it's basically the message is do something about your faith if it is real. James was writing to Christians who were from a Jewish background and they knew the joy of salvation by faith. They were free from, they were free from works and this idea of righteousness and having to be something or do to do something. But actually, they'd kind of swung the other way, and they'd kind of got to the point where works didn't really matter. We learn from this passage that faith alone saves, but it's a living faith. And you can see if it's alive by, if it's accompanied by works. You see, if you believe something, then you're going to do something and act on it. If you love Jesus, then you will help the poor like Jesus did. Paul understood this. He understood that works prove the, your strength of your faith. And he said, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should all walk in them. Works don't save. Good works follow true faith. You see, belief and works go hand in hand, but works always come second we are saved for works, but the faith was already there. So let's unpack that by looking at two people. So we've got Abraham, we've got Rahab. They are both um, perhaps one of the more familiar uh, characters from the Old Testament, and they were both demonstrated. They both demonstrated this living faith. This idea that faith, if it's not accompanied by works, is a dead faith that can't can't save at all. We just read already. Wasn't our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? We'll come back to that in a minute. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. The lesson from Abraham is this. If you believe in God, then you will be obedient to him. Now, if you are sitting here and thinking, well, who's Abraham? Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation, and his story when it comes to Isaac is pretty hardcore. God basically calls him to offer his only son that he's waited 80 years for as a sacrifice on the altar to him. And it says that Abraham was justified, which basically means made right with God, by his works when he offered Isaac. But... The point that it, has been made here is that actually he was already justified before this. It was just his obedience which like, demonstrated his trust in God. His works demonstrated that his faith was real. So let me just say that again. Abraham was justified. He was made right by his works when he did offer Isaac. But he was already made right before that by his faith. Justification, love a key word, is the action of declaring, I've lost it, no I haven't, or making righteous in the sight of God. Abraham was declared righteous by his faith, but it's his subsequent sacrifice which reflects his deep faith. Faith and works cooperated perfectly in Abraham. His belief in God enabled him to do this good work of offering Isaac, now that is tough. If you're a parent sitting here, that is tough. To offer your only child as a sacrifice sounds relatively familiar. When we look at the New Testament, there are massive parallels, of course, with Jesus. God gave his only son. See, Abraham's faith proved true and perfect and complete by his obedient work. Jesus' obedience and his perfect work leading up to the cross and ultimately his death on the cross is the ultimate demonstration, surely, of faith and works. But let's not forget the second character, Rahab. Rahab is less popular than Abraham. Rahab was a a Gentile, a non-Jew. She was a prostitute. But yet James uses these two characters to make exactly the same point. God is a God of love and everybody is included. So as we complete this first part, we must remember that works must accompany genuine faith because it's always connected with this idea of regeneration and being born again. we look back to what Paul said again, we are a new creation. Therefore, from 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new Has come. If there is no evidence of new life, then there was no saving faith in the first place. So, how do we apply this to our own lives? And I'd like to suggest that maybe faith is a bit like a window. So, this passage really is at the heart of the book of James. We've been reading it together on Sundays and we've been discussing it in small groups, we have in ours. And we recognize that, of course, Jesus saves. We are saved by Jesus. God reached down into this world, became incarnate, lived amongst us, ate with us, prayed with us, cried with us, went on adventures with us, and ultimately he suffered for us to reunite us with God the Father. This is a unique situation. If you ever seek the truth, ultimately you end up with one name. And that's Jesus. There is no other name that will save us. There is no belief, no ritual, no system, no ideology. There is nothing that reaches down into the heart of the world and says, I love you, you are mine, I would do anything for you. God gave everything to know us. And this is the gospel truth, this is the good news that we are freed from these systems which try to enslave us. Every worry, every fear, every anxiety, Jesus will take it and it is gone with his death on the cross. It is finished. It's done. And he's resurrected and he's come to us by his Holy Spirit and his Holy Spirit is here now. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to stand up and talk to you like this. (laughs) So how are we going to apply this? This verse really jumped out at me. It was this verse, verse 18. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So I think this little word by is very important. You see, my faith reflects to others um, by what I do and also how I do it. So there's three ways I'd like to talk about this. First of all, what is this saving faith? Secondly, let's just think about these deeds. What are they? And thirdly, to think about our attitudes of our hearts. So my testimony of faith takes me back to when I was 17 in this hall. Um, and it's my birthday next week. That was 23 years ago. And I first recognized that Jesus was real in this place 23 years ago. I'd met the Holy Spirit, but I didn't know who he was when I was on like a, a kid's camp when I was about 11. And I suddenly realized that I was less important than I thought I was. And this Jesus was utterly amazing. And I was in here and I just had this revelation over like two or three Sundays and people's perception of me became like less important. I became nicer. I became less selfish. I actually realized that God wanted me to go and and help other people to find out, to open their minds too, just like I'd had my eyes opened, open to what I then understood was this incredible love for me. You see, Jesus had this exciting adventure awaiting. My direction in my life completely changed. I had new horizons, and I put my trust in this trustworthy God. My faith was in a trustworthy God who doesn't change like shifting shadows for those who were here for the second in these series, I think, in James verse uh, chapter 1. And this was ultimately the best thing I ever did. We went to an old friend's wedding in September. Um, a wonderful lady. Um, she is the reason that I am standing here talking to you. You see, when we were in Year Ten um, at school together, she prayed for me throughout the whole of Year Ten, the whole of Year Eleven, and then when we were in Year Twelve, I became a Christian. You see, she was at her weakest then. Gone oh, off? No, I haven't. I'm back. Hi, everyone. You see, she was at her weakest then. She was struggling with anorexia, and my 17-year-old self realised that she was way stronger than I was. She had this faith which was utterly incredible. We went to her wedding a few weeks ago in September, and um, it was incredible. I remember just having this moment of watching her dancing with her dad, um, and the memories of what a bumpy road it's been for her um, all came flooding back. You see, despite being saved from this life condemned by what she saw in the mirror, she sadly is no longer a Christian, Because her faith was incredibly broken. And faith can be fragile. But I'm here to say that God is not fragile. And he pursues us. And she needs a fresh outpouring of grace. And I pray that she does. You see, my story of faith and many people in the room, our stories of faith are stories of resurrection faith. They are grounded in the cross. The demonstration of the empty tomb. This is the culmination of the rescue plan. If we just pause for a moment and consider this, consider this on Good Friday, the sacrifice that God made, this disgraced saviour, separation between loved and beloved. God's heart was broken. And you see, we are made in his image, it says in Genesis chapter 1, so it's pretty likely that we can guarantee that our hearts are going to be broken too. Everything is measured by the cross, and the sacrifice that Jesus made demonstrates this extravagant love. I have much still to learn about about sacrifice. Perhaps our, our hearts would be filled more easily with love if they are broken open. We stand, my husband and I, at a crossroads at the moment with our son's school place, and we face term time, possibly term time separation um, from him. And and actually, I've learned masses about the depths of a mother's love and what you have to give up. But what would that sacrifice reveal, maybe, in the future? What possibilities might open up for him and for us as a family? Maybe my heart was made to be broken open. Maybe it was made to be broken free. Maybe the deepest wounds birth the deepest wisdom. You see, our disgraced saviour is resurrected and free. God does the greatest things for the people who are greatly wounded. Our faith does save. So, what are these deeds then that we're talking about? Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So, what are these deeds? We said that saving faith is this idea of strong belief uh, and confidence and trust in in Jesus and his love to the point of death. And saving saving faith spurs us on to do good deeds. But to be fair, spurring's not that comfortable. It kind of disrupts our easy place and our affinity with comfort, which we quite like here, don't we? But once you have glimpsed this saving faith and you've experienced just a tiny bit of who Jesus is, and you're able to live in these open spaces of joy and be who you are made to be and thrive and be in your sweet spot. This idea that actually, do you know what? God does call us to do things, and sometimes we are supposed to go and do these big things for Jesus. And other times, maybe it looks slightly different. So where does this start? It starts with, it starts with me and it starts with my family. You see, as a mother, I have many roles. I am a secondary school teacher, two and a half days a week, but I am a mum, 24-7. The expectations, I would suggest, on women in our culture are eye-watering at best. Women often run the house as well as doing a job, um, and sometimes I go to sleep thinking, oh, I've put, put, put the washing on, so I can hang it up at half of six in the morning. Um, and then I need to pack the lunches and, and pour the cereal. And then I will be obviously combing the house for all the school uniform that I'm hoping is clean. And then I probably have to maybe wipe a bottom, um, just one actually, no more than that, because our other two are old enough. Clean the toilet because maybe of the bum wiping incident. Um, and then obviously drop the children at school, and then do the food shopping, collect the children, um, do the cooking and the washing, and hang up those clothes. Put away the washing and hoover up all the hoops that's still on the kitchen floor after, after breakfast, tidy up the kitchen, clean the children, clean their teeth, help them with their reading, uh, help them with their homework, and then it all starts again. So maybe I'm here to say that it's actually okay in our deeds to sweep up the chocolate hoops underneath the kitchen table for Jesus. Actually... Sometimes, as I was writing this, uh, one of the children was interrupting me for some sort of snack, or some sort of snack or another, and the cat was scratching at the door, and I was thinking, oh, I've fed the cat, because no one else seems to do that in my house. Um, and <laughs> it's the idea that my mum does, actually, when she comes over. I think she really is the one who does love the cat more than anyone else. There is so much demand for our time. There is so much demand. There are so many jobs to do. What did James say here? He said, maybe. He said, he said I will show you my faith by my deeds. So our deeds reflect our faith. So my job is to look after my family and do what is put in front of me with all my might. See, I am a mother of a young family. I've disappeared again. No, I haven't. I am a mother of a young family, and the worries and the pressure of the world can hem us in. But actually, I carry out my deeds because I love my family, and I am responsible, and they need doing. (laughs) And some days I don't feel like cleaning behind the toilet, clearly most days. And I'd rather be in some sort of far-flung place doing some crazy missionary adventure, relying on Jesus every second. But actually, Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord. And he was actually talking to slaves and servants in this book to Colossians, which this comes from. But if you remember way back at the beginning of this series, the first verse of this book, James is saying, James, is servant, James, a slave of Jesus. So, where has God put you this morning? What daily deeds fill your life that can be a faithful act of sacrifice to the Lord? And then, as we draw this to a close, what about our heart attitude? What about the manner in which we do this stuff? Because that is also reflective of Jesus. See, the most important roles in my life are as a wife and as a mother. What are yours? And what is your attitude to success in those roles? Jesus showed love by what he said and what he did. He was always on the lookout for those who were vulnerable and needy and the sick and the lost. And you know what? That includes our children, their friends, their, the families that we are all part of. It includes all of those people and more people who are lost and searching. So, what would Jesus say about your success criteria for those particular roles? Maybe we need to have a think and maybe redefine like, what, we, what we understand success to mean. Often, we can feel kind of guilty uh, about not doing enough. Um, I remember, actually, I was in this hall, uh, someone said to me, just before I became, became a mother for the first time, when you become a mum, you will always feel guilty. And I thought, oh, right, that's not the most helpful piece of information I've ever had. And actually, I refused to do that. I refused to do that. How is your heart attitude towards what you do? I would suggest to you this morning that perhaps we need to be bold and courageous with ourselves and for ourselves. You see, Jesus is kinder to you than you can ever be to yourself. His whole attitude was love. We are saved by Jesus. We are saved from all the guilt and the lies of the enemy. Jesus was broken to save us and his, evidence, his scars sorry, were and are evidence for this. So as we finish, I'd like to invite Anthony and the band to come back and just have a few thoughts for us, really. So we said that saving faith produces this desire for good works in us. Okay, we've got Abraham and Rahab. They were both made righteous, Before they did anything, James says our faith and our deeds are like a window that others look through and see Jesus. Our faith saves. We do the stuff because we love Jesus, because He saves us. And if we're struggling, we know that Jesus will help lift our gaze. And ultimately, saving faith is a faith which wants to see other people have saving faith too. So whatever the type of deeds that you find yourself doing and the work that you do, it's the how as well which is important to Jesus. Where are you spending your energies day in, day out? Are these a faithful act of sacrifice to Jesus? And how do you do it? How, with what manner and what spirit do you conduct these deeds in? It's not necessary to run on empty because actually there is a deep well of love available, enough power, grace, and strength in abundance. So, just before um, I pass over to Anthony, let's just pause for a moment and see perhaps what the Lord wants to say to us now.